Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, we're talking cap rates, net operating income, and cash on cash. It's a nuts and bolts, bread and butter real estate investing discussion. How do you identify a profitable rental property? Should you pay the mortgage, buy more real estate, or save for retirement? Can a property that isn't actually a rental be considered one for tax purposes? Is it a good idea to buy a home with cash? Real estate then dovetails into saving for college. Should you refinance your home to pay off student loans? What can you do with unused college savings funds? Plus, find out what palm trees and ornamental corn have to do with education costs, why listener Earl wants to give Joe a big old bundle of cash, and what the fellows have against 72T early retirement withdrawals. I'm producer Andy Last, and here to answer your questions are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. We get a lot of questions on real estate. We do. You've been an investor for quite some time. Yeah, I like real estate. I always have. You know, some of you are writing us like 14 pages of questions, which is awesome. But if you've ever listened to this show, I read the questions, and it's sometimes very painful (laughs) to listen to for me to read it. So you can just click on the button that says, um, you know, you can just talk. You can just ask your question. It says record a voice message. Yeah, I do agree. When when you've got a long question, that's that's a much better way to do it. Yeah, because then you can, you know, then we know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. You know, sometimes they write in their, you know, their their personality. Yeah. And I screw that up. Right. It'd be nice because your personality gets goes over there. Well, it yeah. totally gets in the way. It totally gets in the way. So do that. That that would be fun for us um, and probably for all of our listeners. Okay, uh, we got Brian. He writes in from San Diego. Now, Brian, want I want to see? I just told you. I, yeah, I just blow these already. things up. This is like a just a, a couple sentences. <laughs> We're just getting started. I know. Too. It. I want to better understand my options for investing my money into real estate. I currently own two properties and rent one. I have one hundred twenty thousand dollars saved and want to put that money to work. I could pay off my condo or purchase another property. What's your thoughts, Big Al? I love the question. That's pretty open-ended, too. So, Brian, in San Diego, as Joe and I are also in San Diego, so here's the thing about San Diego real estate is it tends to be pretty expensive relative to what you can rent it for. So it's really tough to get a a decent cash flow. In fact, it's it's tough to get any cash flow. Usually it's a negative cash flow. I like how you just put that. Yeah. You're like, yeah, Joe and I live in San Diego. Yeah. It is very expensive to live here. (laughs) Oh, is that how I said it? (laughs) It sounded like that. It's really exclusive. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) At any rate, so let me give you a couple thoughts. Now, you've, you've got two properties already. You're probably living in one and renting the other one, I'm guessing. And so good good job. So when you're renting a property, uh, it's, of course, you a couple a couple just quick things. One is it's it's cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. How does the cash flow look? And and when you look at a, at a potential property to purchase, look at it from all different angles. Because you own a rental property, you probably understand this, but for those that don't, it's not just the rent rental income coming out and the mortgage, there's a lot more expenses. That There's vacancy. San Diego, for example, has on average about a 5% vacancy factor, so make sure you throw that in. Now, you may not have any vacancy for a year, but you might have a month the following year. Hey, why don't you walk through the math? Um, because yeah. people might hear cash flow or cap rate. Or, yeah, right. Okay. You know, to, to, to examine, because if if I buy a rental property, how do I know that this is a, a good deal? Yeah, okay, good. So let's just, so let me let me just start with the rents. You know, you subtract out, obviously, the mortgage, yeah, but then, like, the vacancy. 
there's property taxes, there's maintenance, there may, there's homeowner's fees if it's a rental property. There might be pest control, there might be gardener, any number of things. So, so basically, you start with your rent, you subtract out all your expenses, and you come up to a, a bottom line profit or loss. Okay, so let's just say real simple example: hundred thousand dollar property, and you get ten thousand dollars in rents, and your expenses are six thousand dollars. Let's just say, so your 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 bottom line profit is four thousand dollars. Okay, so now you look at that four thousand dollars, and you divide that into the property. Do you uh, divide that into net equity or well, market the, value? Yeah, it's both. It's let me do both. Actually. Okay, let let me start with the. Uh, property itself, and that's called cap rate. So it's the bottom line profit without regard to the mortgage interest and principal. So without regard to your mortgage, so in real estate investor term, they call that net operating income. It's it's the rental income minus all the expenses before the mortgage. Okay, you, you do have to add property taxes, but it's that net number. You divide that number into the total property value. That's cap rate. And, a, and the higher the, the cap rate, obviously, the better, the better the cash flow. If you've got a, a, a property that has a 1% cap rate, that's really low. That's a, that's a very poor cash flow. So then you look at your opportunity cost. Yeah. It's like, I'm getting 1% cash flow on this right. property. Where could I reinvest that into a CD and get 25 Yeah, exactly. Without right. all the hassle. Yeah, exactly, right. Now, of course, the, the flip side to that is what if the property has high appreciation potential? So obviously, that's what you look at. And that's what I was sort of getting to and saying. San Diego. We tend to have not very good cash flow here, but good appreciation potential. And that seems to be true on the West Coast and the East Coast. And there are many other places too. But then there's a number of places in kind of middle America where it's the cash flow is better, but the appreciation doesn't seem to be as much. It can work either way. But so that's the cap rate. The other one is cash on cash. And cash on cash is simply how much profit do you have from that property relative to how much your your equity is? How much in the cash property. you have in it? Yeah. yeah. So in, in my example, if you have four thousand dollars of profit after the mortgage, and you had a fifty thousand dollar mortgage. Yeah, yeah, fifty thousand mortgage, fifty thousand dollars equity, right? Mm-hmm. So what's that? Four into fifty. Now you got to challenge my math, but somewhere around eight percent, yeah, eight or nine percent. That's really good. That's really good. And in fact, in higher appreciating areas like San Diego and West Coast, East Coast, uh, if you can get uh, anything close to four, that's that's really good. So even though the house might look like a dump, <laughs> right, it's yes. in a terrible neighborhood, but if I look at cash on cash or if I look at the cap rate, it could be a pretty good investment. It, it could be. And I have a couple more observations based upon what you just brought up. And, and, but but on yeah. the flip side, people might look at a really nice home yes. with all brand new furnishings, yes. you know, beautiful backyard in a wonderful neighborhood, and the cap rate in cash on cash is terrible. Correct. Because you should be living in that yes. versus renting that. And I would say that, and that's a, that's a good observation, in most cases, there's exceptions, of course, but in most cases... The place, the places that have good cash flow that would make good rentals are not necessarily the place you're going to live, live. and raise your family. Sure, not that they're not. Someone else will. So, someone else will. Yeah. <laughs> if you, and pay you to if, do it. If you've got the the investable um, assets to invest in real estate uh, in general, you may want a, a little bit better place than what I would call a bread and butter rental. Just kind of a you know kind of a starter family home and kind of a. You know, a decent neighborhood, not a slum. So yes, yeah, so so it's probably in general the the places that you rent will not necessarily where you where you want to live. But you also have to look at where your 
where you do buy a rental, it's, it's like those properties or, or that community, is it up and coming or is it declining? And you're looking, you're actually looking for a, a community that maybe has had some problems, but now it's kind of up and coming. Maybe it's kind of a center city community that's now, because there's so much growth in the city that people are coming in, they're improving their homes, the community's going in the right place. Maybe there's a new employer. Or if, if you find a, if you see a new Home Depot <laughs> in an area, sounds kind of funny, but that's actually a really good sign that this is probably an up-and-coming area, even though it may not look that great at the time. So hopefully that, that helps you out, Brian. Uh, another thing I just thought of, too, Alan, when anytime you, I guess, debate about one investment that you should go into, here's a formula, because there's cash and then there's, there's growth. Right. Right. So you got to look at the growth aspect of it, plus the cash flow a- aspect of it, plus the tax benefit that you would potentially receive from Correct. it would equal your total return. Yeah. And one quick thing about that, Joe, is is if you put 100% down payment, which usually you, you can't do, it's too expensive. But let's just say you do $100,000 property, you put $100,000 of your own cash in. If the property goes up 5%, then you've made 5% on your money. But if you put a 10% down payment down and the property goes up 5%, you've made 50% on your money. In other words, the property doesn't care whether there's debt on it or not. Right. If it's $100,000 is worth 105 and you only put $10,000 down, now your equity is 15,000, you actually made 50% on your money. And of course that's way oversimplification because there'd probably be negative cash flow in that case and and a lot of other things, but that's how people make money in real estate is by using leverage or other people's money. It's also how you lose a lot of money because if a property, if you put $10,000 down and it goes down, the property itself goes down 10%, you've lost 100% of your investment because you have zero, zero equity. equity. Yeah. Yep. So just remember it works both ways. <laughs> if you're considering making an investment in real estate, I have crammed the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com with a ton of free resources. You'll find Big Al's video with three tips for beginner real estate investors, his blog on Real Estate Investing 101, and a previous podcast episode on using rental real estate, specifically small apartment buildings, to build legacy wealth. I've also thrown in past episodes on other potential real estate investments like vacation rentals, mobile homes, and raw land. Plus, exclusively in the show notes, and especially for our San Diego-based aspiring real estate investors, you'll find video of Joan Bigal discussing cash-flowing rental real estate here where we are in the San Diego market. There's also a free white paper with 10 tips for real estate investors waiting for you as well. Now, while I was telling you about all those free resources, which you can get by clicking the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app, Big Al left the studio. He joins us now via Skype. Alan, how are you, sir? I couldn't be better, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you know why? Because, uh, I I'm, because I'm, I'm 3,000 miles away from you <laughs> in, in Hawaii. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> Rub it in. So it's, it's, it's a great day. Um, <laughs> so to in fact, get the, any day 3,000 miles away from me, it's a great day. Yeah, I could be in a prison. It'd be the improvement. <laughs> but actually, I'm, I'm sitting here looking from our living room. I'm looking at a really nice grass lawn, the ocean, and I see some white water and some palm trees. Wow. So, yeah, this is uh, this is better than a prison. Got it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's start answering some questions. Yeah, we got. We still have a lot of questions, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, yeah. S- since you're in Hawaii, we got Tom. He writes in from Oahu, 
Hawaii. Yeah, he's he's uh, we're we're up near brothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, mean, I could wait, could wave to him almost. Yeah, yeah, you probably could. <laughs> uh, I, I've listened to your uh, by, show. <laughs> by, by the way, I'm just for Tom's benefit and our leather listeners. I'm on Kauai. It's a little. It's not right around the corner from Oahu, but it's in the vicinity. <laughs> well, you can swim there. I, it'd be a long swim, but I, I could try. <laughs> I might need to be rescued after tw- about 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, maybe you should try, Al. <laughs> I should? Yeah. Tom, be ready to rescue Al. Uh, Tom, can you have a boat set up for yeah. me? Because I'll, I'll, get, I'll get probably, I don't know, 300 feet off of Hawaii. Uh, do it at night, too. That'd be helpful. No. <laughs> yeah, that's when the, the sharks are more active, probably. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. So Tom writes. I have yeah. listened to your show for the last few weeks, and especially the, the recent show that included Al's description of veganism and discussion of Chinese restaurants. Wow. I remember talking about veganism. Did, I guess I don't remember talking about Chinese restaurants, but maybe I did because they have rice. So rice works just fine for me. Uh, rice, rice and, and noodles with some veggies, I guess. All right. We, we live in yeah. Hawaii and noticed that Al seems to know quite a bit about the Aloha State. True. Uh, Very true. So if we ever come, so if he ever comes over to Oahu, he's welcome to stay at our waterfront home. We could grill and watch sunsets together while we pepper him with tax and retirement questions. So wow, that's a, that next week's show. I'm going to be at Tom's house. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so here's his question: My wife, 41, and I, 45, are stingy professionals that love to travel, have no children, save some money, and have not invested or put anything into retirement. My wife is a university employee that offers 403B, 457, neither's matched. We have a small LLC that I sometimes I work through, but it only has about $20,000. Her income is around one twenty. We are eight years into a 30-year mortgage of $312,000. House is worth about a million bucks. I also make about $40,000 in passive rental income. So we have about $70,000 in saving that just sits in bank accounts. Financially, we are stable, but my wife may want to quit her job to travel more and concentrate on our LLC and make our income through a consultant rather than her job. We have been saving money in the bank in case one of us gets sick and we need an emergency nest egg to pay off the mortgage or medical payments. Is having this nest egg sitting in the bank a bad idea? If so... What should we do with our future tax years in what priority? So pay off the mortgage is question number one. Put money into the 457 plan or 403B plan or something else. Aloha, Tom. (laughs) Aloha, Tom. So what do you think, Al? Let's summarize. So they're 41 and 45. They love to travel, have no children. They save some money. They have uh, 403B, 457, neither is matched. They've got the mortgage at 312. They have about 70000 in savings. Do, they don't really say how much is in the 403B or I don't think they have anything in the 403B. Or four, I, yeah. Th- they offer okay. it, but they're not taking advantage of it. They're not taking advantage of it. So I guess they're maybe they're they're relying on the university pension. But she wants to stop I, working. She's only yeah. 41. <laughs> yeah, that's that makes it tough, yeah. So, so he's got some passive income of $40,000 from uh, some rentals. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably through the LLC. She makes $125,000. Yeah. So what, to replace $125,000 of income, 
uh, you need a lot of assets to produce some passive income to create that type of income. Yeah, they need what about uh, 1.2 million? Yeah, well, Give more than that. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm in Hawaii. I'm not thinking properly. It's double that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's close to two and a half. Yeah, right? probably close to three. Yeah, depending at forty one yeah. and forty five. Yeah. Yeah, it depends. On how, you know, if the passive income is reliable, you wouldn't need quite that much. But still, sure. I here's my first comment: is when my wife retired to work on our rentals and LLCs, that didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave it to Robbie. So just be aware. It, it may be a little different when she retires. I, that's the first piece of advice I have. So I don't know. I, I think Tom needs to run some numbers a little bit um, yeah. because that income's quite a bit. His income's forty thousand bucks. They got a mortgage of three twelve. They got seventy thousand dollars. Keep the money in cash. You need a cash reserve. So it's not like taking the seventy thousand from savings and start investing it. I would start, you know, by funding retirement accounts, I think that's a good idea. If they want to retire earlier um, and live off of passive income, well, then you got to pay off debt. you got to reduce, I think, the, the monthly nut. So then the passive income doesn't have to be as high. So it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I think I, the way we sort of look at it is if the if her income is about 120, and we don't know what their spending is, but let's just say the spending is 120. And so we would say, Tom, you probably should have at least six months emergency funds. So that would be 60000 at least right there. So that means the 70000 in savings should just be in savings for, for the reason, Tom, that you've identified, which is in case something happens to either you, you need the emergency cash. So you can't really invest that. And I, I do like the idea personally of, of adding to retirement savings before paying off the mortgage. I think, I think the way I would think about it is once you have your emergency fund, I would, I would get to the point, if you could, max out the retirement accounts. And then if there's still extra, that you, it, then if you want to pay a little bit more towards the mortgage, I'm okay with that. But I think I'd sort of go in that order. Yeah. If the 457, I would start there uh, because, yeah, you have access to the 457 at any age, Tom. So... If you do lose a job or quit work or do whatever, you do have access to the 457 plan at any age. So your 403B would be subject to 59 uh, just like an IRA. So Hey, Joe, Joe question. What, yeah. what are the differences in investments between a 403B and 457, or are they pretty similar they're, in general? In general, they're pretty similar. The 457 okay. is a non-qualified deferred comp plan in a sense. So, but it, it's just usually it's ran by the state and they have, you know, a certain provider that provides, you know, the 457. So it, it could be the uh, almost identical to the 403B or it could be a little bit different. But in most cases, right. I mean, it's, you know, six and half a dozen. All right. Uh, let's go to traditional or Roth. We got David. He's writing in from El Paso, Texas. He goes, hi, Joe and Al. Great podcast. I can't stop listening. Neither can I. Oh, God. David. <laughs> I suppose well, in El Paso. Andy, <laughs> well, know. and Andy, I'm thinking, you, you have to listen. Yeah, I don't have, you have any have choice. choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, we Got don't it. have a traditional home. But what the hell? What, what is a traditional home? But for simplicity's sake, we say El Paso, Texas. I bet you that they're in a motorhome or something like that. I'm 50. Oh, so we, like they, they travel. I bet that's the deal. Oh, that's badass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. That's what I want. Yeah, he's he's all over the place. He's just living the yeah. dream. And then, but, and that's you know my what? guess. But he picks he, El Paso, Texas? Why wouldn't you say you, you're... I would, you might uh, have family or something like that, and that's home base, but the rest of the time you're, you know, in 
Hawaii. Go. Well, I know I know why he did Texas because there's no state tax. Got it. I don't ah. know why I don't know why I don't know why he picked El Paso, but uh, Texas is that's not a stretch. All right. So, um, <laughs> David, he's he's 50. His wife's 53, and I have a question about retirement. We both work for the same company. Uh dipping in the company. Oh, I wonder Ooh. if they met there. I'm sure they did. <laughs> Yeah, right. You guys are such gossip mongers. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> but, had, like, they were on the well. copy machine or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking coffee, but you went to the copy machine. That's even more interesting. Uh, yeah. All right. If we both, so they both have the option of choosing either a traditional 401k or Roth 401k. We have around $100,000 that we can invest each year. Wow. Um, we would like to buy a house, $300,000 range, in five to seven years and pay cash. Uh, my plan was to max out our 401ks using the Roth option, which would amount to roughly half of our available annual investment budget, and then take the remaining 50000 and invest in a brokerage account to fund our future home purchase. We are able to contribute $2,000 uh, per week. After listening to one of your podcasts from last year, though, you had mentioned that you love to see accounts in thirds, which I understood as one-third traditional, one-third Roth, one-third brokerage, as it offers more tax flexibility. This made me wonder if it's something we need to consider since we're starting from zero. Should one of us max out the traditional in the Roth 401k? Should we both max out Roth 401ks and no traditional? Should we each max out Roth IRA and reduce the amount we put in the brokerage account? Uh, we started our annual, or we started our retirement savings late in life, but I think we put ourselves in a position to catch up at least a little. I just feel like we've got one shot to get this right, and I'd like your opinion. Our account are at zero now, as we spent the last year paying off our debt. Our plan is to invest $100,000 each year for the next 10 years, and then we'll slow down a bit. Okay? So... You want to hear the the backstory, Al? It explains what their non-traditional living situation oh, okay. is. We both decided to quit our day jobs. Me, manager of a mid-sized manufacturer, wife, supply chain manager for tech company. Sell our home in just about anything that wasn't sentimental. Went to CDL school and became a professional driving team. Wow. What the hell oh, CDL okay. school? A professional Com- driving commercial team. driver's license. Oh, that, wouldn't that be what it uh, is? Oh, so they're I, like truckers. I or think something. so. Yeah, oh, that's that's even that's better. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's a great job. After spending the last year paying off uh, considerable debt, we're able to live on twenty thousand dollars a year and put about a hundred thousand dollars towards retirement. Bonus, we love it. I wonder what his call name is. <laughs> <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit, <laughs> right? Like Rubber Ducky or something. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, uh, they could save $100,000 a year, uh, 50, 53. He's going Roth, 401k. What the hell do I do? I heard a third, a third, a third. So he's kind of getting information all over the place from us. That is not consistent. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Never happened with that. So they want to buy a house in five to seven years and pay cash, 300000 If they can save $100,000 a year to do that, I don't know, Al. I'm I'm thinking. Let's start with the house. I think it might make sense for them to have a little bit of a mortgage, but paid off in five to seven years. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, interest rates are really low. Instead of putting three hundred thousand dollars cash today, get a mortgage for two hundred thousand, put a hundred thousand dollars down, 
and you pay a few thousand bucks or maybe a thousand dollars a month on a small mortgage, but then you have the other, you know, eighty thousand dollars per year that is working for you. And then at some point, if you ever want to pay the mortgage off, you can accumulate enough liquid assets over the next five to seven or ten years where where you would have that option. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, Joe. Although it sounds like they're on the road a lot, and so maybe they don't even need it. Maybe they could even rent it out for some extra income as well. So that could be a possibility. But I think interest rates are really low right now, like you say, although real estate is is high. So who knows what it's going to do? It could flatten out. It could keep going. It could decline a bit. So if you're of the opinion, and I don't know about much about El Paso real estate, but if, if you're of the opinion that it's peaked and, and you think it may come down, you might wait. But but that's timing. And you know we're not too interested in timing. It's very hard to time markets, real estate included. So I think I would probably favor the home too. And with a mortgage, with a low mortgage, and then I would probably Let's say they're living on twenty thousand, and they got a hundred that they can invest, and their taxes are twenty. Maybe, maybe they make one forty. They're probably in the twenty-four percent tax bracket with no state tax, uh, and I like the fact there's no state taxes. So I probably would have at least some going to the Roth. I don't know if it's a third, a third, a third. What do you think, Joe? No, I think they're in the twenty-two percent tax bracket um, at one forty, even. So I would go hundred percent Roth. To be honest with you, I'm a big fan of that at twenty-two percent tax rates. Because the reason why we want to go a third, a third, a third, or break it up for tax diversification is because most people have 100% of their liquid assets in a tax-deferred account that's going to be taxed at ordinary income. If you can forego a little bit of tax savings today, which is not going to be huge at 22%, and then accumulate all of that money into a tax-free environment, I like that the best. 10-4, Rubber Ducky. By the way, if after listening to the YMYW podcast and perusing all of the real estate investing resources in the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. If you still have questions about real estate investing or any other money topic for that matter, you can always click the Ask Joe and Al on air banner at the top of the show notes and send in your questions as a voice message or an email and I will get them straight onto our list of emails. How do you get to the show notes, you might ask? If you're hearing this right now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart, Pandora, Spotify, CastBox, Overcast, or any of the other podcast apps, you will see a link right at the very end of the description of this episode. If you click that link, voila, you are at the show notes. From that page, you can send in your money questions, you can read the transcript of the episode, sign up for the podcast newsletter, and access all those previously mentioned free resources. Then, the best way to say thanks for this great show is to share YMYW with all the other people you know who would enjoy it. You can do that right from the podcast show notes as well. We got Matt from Minnesota again. Man, these guys take advantage of us, Al. They like to write over and over. This is our dedicated, loyal audience. We love them, Joe. Yes. Odd question, Matt's got. I have two properties besides my residence that I own free and clear. But neither of them are technically rental properties. One is being used by family that we know that has fallen on hard times. The other is being used by my son. In both cases, there is no rent being paid. Is there a way to structure this setup to save money on my taxes? Can I treat them as rentals that are losing money? Not sure what the best setup would be. Thanks. All right, Al. You're the real estate guru. I will take that one. Uh, Matt, there's very little you can do on that to create a tax deduction with one exception. 
and because they're not rentals. Um, and I'll get back to that in just a second. You can treat one of them as a second home. And as a consequence with a second home, you could write off property taxes on your Schedule A. Of course, those are limited to $10,000. Maybe there's not that much benefit. You said the properties are free and clear, so you don't have mortgage interest. But on a first property and a second property, you can write off mortgage interest and taxes. Now, the fact that it's basically they're being rented to family or maybe they're being they're basically given to family with no rent. Um, it's not a, it's not a rental if there's no rent or even if there's below market rent. Uh, in some cases, um, maybe a, a family member will rent to another one and the fair market rents a thousand bucks and they're charging five hundred dollars. So that's a below market rent situation. You can deduct rental expenses, but only down to zero. You cannot create a loss when the rents are anything lower than fair market value, which would be the case here. So unfortunately, that's not a great answer, but that's the rule. How about this, Al? So his son's living in the house, and maybe his son is married. So how about if rent for the year's 30000 bucks? The son's not paying the 30000 Matt is gifting the $30,000 to his son. Can that work? Because like you can do $15,000 per year per child, right? So yeah, so, so let's say so Matt's that, son's married, so he's going to give him 30000 as a gift, then Matt's going to give it back to him in form of rent. Rent payments, yeah. So in that particular case, the whole 30000 is is income. And if that is considered fair market rent, that could possibly work. Sometimes, though, what happens is people don't uh, give a lump sum. They just say, well, let's, you know, let's pretend it's $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month, and we'll just do it on paper. <laughs> and that, that just, just kind of runs amok because it's, it really does look like a gift related to the rental. So if you're going to do a strategy like that, you'd want to do like a, a one lump sum that wasn't at all tied to the rental. In fact... You'd want the amount to go or go to the sun, not the sum of 12 months rental payments, some other sum. So it looks like it's something completely different. So that could be a possibility. But remember, when you have a rental, uh, in a lot of cases, you, um, you know, your rental income, your expenses, they may be a little bit lower than the rent or something. Certainly in California, the expenses are pretty high. And with depreciation, you can create a loss. But that reduces your tax basis. So when you sell the property, you got a higher capital gain. So you may not you may not benefit that much, really. Yeah, probably doesn't at all. So all right. Yeah, because I think by the time by the time you create a loss of a few thousand dollars, you've reduced your basis by ten thousand. I'm just you know guessing, and so you got a higher capital gain later, which may not be worth it. All right, on the same kind of thread here with taxes and gift tax, uh, we got Earl. He writes in. Uh, Big Al, question has come up about tax liability on a cash gift exceeding yearly exemption of fifteen thousand. Say I give Joe Anderson twenty five thousand. Wow, uh, do you know Earl? No, I love Earl now. <laughs> uh, I like where his head's at. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Is it the first fifteen thousand exempt? The overage is. This example is then reported on IRS Form 709, I believe, in the amount of 10000 then reduced from my lifetime estate and gift tax exemption, which is $11.4 million. I keep being told by others that I'm wrong. The overage is, in this example is subject to tax this year. I think there is no tax. 
The amount over just reduces my lifetime limit. Not likely any tax ever with limits north of $11 million will ever be due. Um, who's got it right? have listened to both of you for years. Fantastic service you provide. But it's time to put together some new shows for Sunday morning. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> a piece on this often must understood tax. Thanks. Uh, all right, Earl, we are taping season five. Six. 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 Um, Six. It feels like season 60. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. So, yeah. We had, we had a long hiatus, but we're, we're back. We had to get a new studio, which we now have almost ready. So I think our first show, will be, new show, will be coming out maybe in about six weeks or so. Yeah, couple, give or take, couple, give or take. couple weeks, Earl. But yeah, um, just hang on. And so I guess if I'm going to answer the question, Earl, I'd like you to give me the twenty-five thousand dollar gift instead of Joe. <laughs> Let's start with that. But uh, anyway, I will tell you, Earl, you are correct. Uh, there is no current tax. You file a Form 709, which is a gift tax return. It does come off of your exemption. Of course, the IRS never makes things simple. It actually reduces your unified credit, credit which yeah. is a different number. But for our purposes today, it's just like it comes off your exemption. So I, I, you, you can think of it that way. So in other words, if you were to pass away, then you don't get the $11.4 million exemption. You get the 11390000 Right, <laughs> which is probably enough for most people. <laughs> All right, Mary Jo writes in from Carlsbad, California. Uh, would it be wise to refinance my home? I have equity uh, to pay off my son's student loan of forty thousand dollars. He could pay me back, and I would deposit it back into the principal each month. Thank you for your advice. Uh, what do you think there? Would you rather hold the student loan or refi the house um, and have the kid pay it back? Well, hopefully the kid can pay it back. It, it's I kind of hate to do that because you know you, you sort of hate to have family loans if you don't have to. Um, and in some cases, student loans they they have provisions where you can make lesser payments if the you know if you the get income. into trouble financially. Mm -hmm. So, which is not true of a home equity loan. So, I'm not, I don't think I would probably recommend that. Um, however, it's it's forty thousand. It's not, it's not. It's not four hundred thousand. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not the worst idea ever. It's just I, I probably with what little I know, I probably wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But if you want to do it, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent, Al. Because there's there's certain things that you would definitely want to keep, depending on what type of student loan it is. Versus, you know, you know it, rolling it into a, your house. If it's a loan that's a really high interest rate and you can get a low interest rate home equity loan and your son has good income and you trust them and, and you know, there's not this issue about uh, needing to get lower payments, you know, maybe maybe it's not a bad idea. As this episode morphs from real estate investing and leveraging your primary residence into how to pay for college, I've added some resources on that topic in the podcast show notes too. Check out our webinar on how to save for college. Find out whether you should save for retirement or your kid's education first and watch how to make college affordable on YMYWTV. Visit the podcast section at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to view today's show notes or click the link in the description of this episode in your podcast app. We got Jared. He writes in from Greenville, South Carolina. I'm considering planting a seven to ten year payoff crop. What? He's a farmer. Okay. I'm considering planting a seven to ten year payoff crop as a hopeful source of college funding for my son. 
He will be 18 in 10 years, and the crop I'm considering will be mature and ready to sell. I foresee that the profit from selling this uh, then may... Uh, Astronomically I, increase oh, my income tax rate. Hold on. I foresee that the profit from selling this then may astronomically increase my income tax rate. Then um, it's lumped up with my uh, day job earnings. I'm curious if what it is time to sell the crop. God, you can't write. It's not my fault. I can't. Or is it me reading? It's you, Joe. No, it's it not. is you. It is not me. I am curious if when it if is when time it to is sell that it, crop. It will in kind of what? Ever. That's what I'm reading. That was not English. I know. I can read this English. This is all you, Joe. This is all you. It's Jared's accent is coming through his writing. I'm curious if when it is time to sell that crop, my son can report it as income for himself and pay taxes at a more reasonable rate that way. This needs to be done totally legally. How, How could can I navigate, I navigate this? this? Relax yeah, over thinking, there. I'm thinking, Joe, Joe, I think you're you're over 40. You may need some reading glasses. I'm, I'm thinking that's the thing. It could be. It could be. Yeah. Or so, at least contacts, because I, I know you're vain. Yeah, right. So, Jared... <laughs> I am very vain. Uh, Jared's got a crop. He's he's thinking about planting something, and then this this crop is going to mature in ten years, right in time for his kid. Then he wants to yeah. sell the crop. He's going to have a massive, astronomically, profit to kill his tax rate. Can he just give it to his son, and the son pays the tax? I think there's a kitty tax involved here. Well, no, the answer to the question is no. However, here's a workaround is if your son is involved in the harvest of these, I'm assuming they're trees because they take seven to 10 years. I'm, I'm going to assume South Carolina, maybe, maybe they're palm trees. I'm going to add some color to, the, to this, uh, this email. There's palm trees in so, Greenville, South Carolina. As a crop, there might be. All right. Yeah. Maybe it's pine trees. What do I know? I well, um, maybe it's Christmas trees. I don't know. I was thinking <laughs> corn. But I think that's I don't probably think it takes a year. Seven to ten years to grow. <laughs> no, no. This is why you are a financial planner and not a farmer. That would be pretty rotten corn. I don't think you get astronomical <laughs> increases. But, maybe it's special corn. But here, here's here's the workaround. Uh, upon harvest, you get your son involved in the harvest, and you pay him. And so that's a deduction. That could be contract labor. It could be salary if you if you want to go the employee employer route. And that way you can transfer some of your profits to him. But that's completely legit as long as he's doing the work that you're paying him for. Very good, Al. Right. Yeah, I like that. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. You say so you think you think you're still thinking it's corn. No, no. Maybe, maybe, maybe you know the corn that you get in Thanksgiving that's all like yellow and orange. Yes, petrified <laughs> yes. corn. Yeah. Maybe it's that. Isn't that stuff only used like for decoration? Yeah. Well, maybe yeah, that's well, what he's it, doing. Maybe. Yeah. Might, might take seven to ten years to grow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, then he's gonna go to Walmart. Yeah. Astronomical yeah, profits. Then, <laughs> and Walmart's gonna say, I'll, "I'll give you five cents an ear." Right. Well, we got one from Marion. Oh, Marion uh, writes in from Fresno, California. I don't know why I thought, well, Marion could be a name. Could be a name? It is a name, Joe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> what I meant to say was, I don't know why I thought Marion was a place of um, where she was living. Never mind. Uh, where she was from? Yes. She was from. 
the suburb of <laughs> from Marion, yes. Fresno. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. She, um, so Marion writes in uh, when my daughter joined the Marine Corps. Uh, she signed up for the college savings plan during basic training. Later, she decided to make the Marine Corps a career. My question is, can she give away cash out of this savings plan? Anything besides try to use the money for education later in life? Um, all right, so Marion has a like 529 plan. Right. And so she was thinking, or... Um, Is it specific my, for the military, though? Well, no, actually, um, when my daughter joined the Marine Corps, she signed up for a college savings plan. For during, the college savings plan. That sounds like a... Is that a military thing? No, no, no. A college savings... Like, 529 plan. Could be Coverdale IRA. Um, IRA. So... The, the question is, can she get out of that thing without any penalties if she's not going to use it for education? The answer is no. you got to use it for education. Yeah, but I will say, and I think a lot of people don't realize, let's say she put 10000 in and it's grown to eleven. The $10,000 comes back, no tax, no penalty. It's only the $1,000 of growth that you have to pay taxes and penalty on. So maybe not be as bad as, as uh, she might think. Yeah, correct. So, yeah. Or they could gift it, right? So let's say the daughter has a child and they want to pay for the child's education. It depends on what kind of savings plan it is. Uh, 529, you can kind of gift from different generations. So we can answer that. And then Marion writes in again. She goes, after listening to podcast 255, remember that one, Al? That was a good podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I that was the that um, five-year clock. Got it. About, on the, on the uh, okay. about Roth yes. IRA conversions. Uh, a half a dozen times I realized I'm converting a tax-deferred 457 plan to Roth IRA to take advantage of current low tax rates. Anyway, hope I understand correctly. Attached is my understanding of the podcast. See, attached. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. The, the, that, that, it's hard to we, read We went this. over that. Right. So I will send Mary in that information. And yes, okay. the podcast <laughs> is the best ever. I cannot remember how I find YMYW. Your magic, your wealth. Oh, your magic. Oh, got it. Uh, but have recommended <laughs> to my children and their friends. P.S. Marion is male. Marianne is female until about 1950. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> we get the whole history. Yes. Then, we got John Wayne. Then it all Duke. went to hell. <laughs> all right. So Marion Mitchell cool. Morrison, known professionally as John Wayne, and nicknamed the Duke. Again, named before 1950. So, All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Marion, for the, the questions. All right, next in line. We got early withdrawal question from Roger. Uh, no location given. Ooh. Okay, Roger. Somewhere in the U.S., maybe. We got to get got to get tight on the rules He's here. He's on the podcast newsletter uh, mailing list, and he just replied to the newsletter and for episode uh, 257 where somebody had uh, written in and asked, what are you supposed to do when you want to take money out before 59 and a half? So Roger is saying... So he asked the question, hi, why didn't you mention 72T SEPP for the second question on IRA withdrawals before 59 and a half on podcast number 257? What do you have against these? Well, Roger, yeah, I got a lot of things against them because uh, <laughs> they, they suck. <laughs> I hate 72T. Uh, no, 72T um, is a, a code... A, in the tax code, a section in the tax code, SEPP separate equal periodic payments 
is what that stands for. So if you are under 59 and a half, you can take money out of a retirement account, an IRA, um, without the 10% penalty, as long as you take the same amount of money out of the account each year for five years or till you turn 59 and a half, whichever is longer. Uh, there's three methods that you would calculate to figure out how much money that you can take from the overall account. Um, I got in this business in 1998, I believe, was the year. And you know what happened in 2000, right? Remember 1998, 1999, 2000, like was I, like the sure dot, dot com boom, right? You you probably thought you were really smart. Oh for my a god, years, I'm, I'm guessing genius. <laughs> this is this is easy, right? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Every investment you picked went straight up. Oh yeah, you Putnam New Opportunities Fund it was up like 48 percent, and then it was down 70. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, when it went down. Yes. So it was right before the dot com bust, and so there was a lot of younger executives that retired that have retirement accounts that were under 59 and a half that wanted to use a 72T tax election uh, to get money out. But what ha- I don't really care for it in a sense that you're tied to a certain payment that is, it could be a, for a substantial period of time. If the market drops, you still have to take the money out of the account. It's a separate equal periodic payment for five years or until you turn 59 and a half. It's not like we're not big fans or we have anything against them. It's just another tool that you could use. I don't know why we didn't even bring it up. Maybe we were just talking about That's his about question. I, I have no idea. I forgot about it or something, Roger. Well, we, we, pro- we, we probably ran out of time. I think I don't favor it necessarily for the first reason that you said, which, like, let's say you do it at age 40. you got to do it till 59 and a half, right. even if you have another job. So that may not be something that works that well for you. And the second reason I'm not crazy about it is the amount of payment that you receive is usually pretty small. And so if you could if you could do another method like like retire at age 55 and on a 401k and then you can pull my, then you then it's kind of unlimited. Yeah, without question because I think they they think they they can get a ton of money out of their overall accounts but it's almost like the RMD it's like a couple percent. So Yeah, it's right. You got a couple hundred thousand, maybe you can pull out 4 grand, 200 a month, right? <laughs> yeah, so right. <laughs> 200 hey, a month. It's yeah. like that doesn't even pay the cable bill hardly. <laughs> <laughs> With all my 2,000 channels that I never watch. <laughs> oh. So, Roger, we got nothing against them, I guess, besides that we, we probably would never recommend them. So, all right, that's it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you got a question, comment, complaint, whatever you want, go to yourmoneyorwealth.com. We'll see you next week, folks. We do have a couple of very quick derails at the end of this episode, so stick around if you like those. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and sign up for a no-cost, no-obligation, two-meeting assessment with a certified financial planner from Pure. If you're in Southern California, we've got offices in San Diego, Brea, Irvine, and Los Angeles. Or if you're outside of SoCal, your free assessment can even be done via video web meeting. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Got it. Six. What, how do you say that, Andy? How do you say Six that? Six of saying? one and half dozen of the other. 
Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I used to have a boyfriend who would say half of one and six dozen of the other or something like that. Well, you like, no, it's completely was wrong. You said I six. I said six and a half a you, dozen. You said six or half dozen. The, that's not that's the complete exactly. thought. He shortened it. And yeah, just shorthand. Because he thinks you're a hipster there, Al. Which is short, it's called shorthand, Al. On a podcast. Shorthand. Okay, I just, I'm in, I'm in Hawaii. I don't want to think too hard. No, yeah. six and one and a half. Yeah. Got yeah. It. All right. Yeah. Um, okay, Aloha Tom. Um, want, you can stock Big Al. He's actually just um, just an island away. Yeah. Mike's girlfriend's from El Paso. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. So we've up, got roots from all our just bringing up some old sparks or, or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling, right. I'm feeling my heart go hit or pass. Is that is it are you feeling is this a good feeling or, or it's like gosh it kind of seems never... like it's a good thing uh, it's a it's all over the board some you know <laughs>